This is Boardwalk by Westpac Wire, where we talk with directors to find out what's on their minds. Hi everyone, it's Emma Foster here from Westpac Wire and I'm very excited to say that for the very first in our Boardwalk series, I'm joined today by Audette Excel. Audette, hi, thanks for being here. Emma, I'm so happy to be here with you. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, but just first a little bit on you. I reckon the most apt description that I've ever seen written about your career is that it's been a wild ride. (laughs) So I hope that doesn't offend you and you might agree with that. But so for listeners who don't know much about you, I'll just highlight a few things here. So you started out as a solicitor in the mid 80s and then you spent time as a bank chief in Bermuda. I did. You were also on uh, the chair of the stock exchange in Bermuda. And you've been a director for Suncorp and you joined Westpac's board around a year ago. That's right. Uh, But probably what you're best known for is the work you've led to change the lives of people in poverty all over the world through ADARA, the group that you founded around 25 years ago. And it's this work that's behind why we're actually meeting here today in Brisbane's convention centre because you're among, I think it's around 2,000 entrepreneurs from all over the world who are taking part in this year's Social Enterprise World Forum. And for the listeners, that explains the bit of the hubbub behind us where we're at the forum right now. And so first, how does it make you feel to be here, to be surrounded by so many entrepreneurs uh, who, there's probably a lot of familiar faces here as well, who share that same commitment as you have to achieving better outcomes in society? It makes me feel incredibly inspired. Um, And one of the reasons I'm so inspired actually is there's one thing before I was a solicitor that often doesn't get seen in my CV. By background, I was a social activist and who woke up one day and realised, gee, when I was studying law, um, because I was so focused on human rights, gee, I need to learn about power and capital. Um, which began my career into business. So, um, so how do I feel about being here? Like I'm back with this wonderful web of people who are focused on social change, who are able to bring business skills together with um, an, a passion for social justice. It's wonderfully inspiring. So I'm delighted to be here in a little, a little strange way. It's like being back in my tribe. Mm, absolutely. And this is actually the second time that the Social Enterprise World Forum has come to Australia. The first time was in Melbourne, um, within its 15-year history since it started in Edinburgh was the first one. Do you think that having the forum here, it's an important moment for social enterprise in Australia? Yes, I think it's incredibly important and I'm so proud that Westpac and the Westpac Foundation are so involved with um, bringing this forum here. I profoundly believe that we're all global citizens and that we're all connected. And so by being involved in, first of all, a discussion and complex conversations about social enterprise inside Australia matters, but being able to have that conversation with a wider global audience, that really matters too, because networks, sharing information, we're talking about change as a global community is really important. So having this in Australia, how wonderful. Australians that are here will learn from each other and they'll learn from their global counterparts and the global counterparts hopefully will learn from the Aussies and the Kiwis and others um, that are walking this land as well. So I think it's, it's, it's really an important moment. And 
if you think about the landscape of social enterprise in this country, you know, I was um, reading something that Social Traders was putting out recently about the rise of the social enterprise ecosystem, if you like, and, and um, that was saying something like 300,000 people are employed by social enterprise in this country. Yeah. It's actually a serious sector now. It's not a dream, a vision, or a crazy idea. So to have a global conversation together about the rise of such an important sector at this critical time in our world, I think it's really important, which is why I'm here and delighted to be here. Mm. And there are some really impressive people on the lineup as well. And the topic of your session that we were just in was around that important intersection between the private sector and the social enterprise sector. And your organisation that you founded 25 years ago, ADARA, has been pretty groundbreaking in the way that it brings these two worlds together. Can you describe that model uh, and give us a little bit of the history and the impact that Adara has? Yes, sure. Yes, yeah, and you, you're right that we're, so we're our, our tagline is actually bridging worlds. And I think there's a whole lot of different ways to make change from activism um, to, you know, big business or more conventional or conservative um, organisations doing the right thing. For me, my life in Adara kind of, I guess, is a, an outworking of that or a manifestation of that is about sitting in engagement. I profoundly believe that we have to stop standing on one hill or the other and throwing stones at each other. We need to get out of polarity and we need SDG 17 Partnership for the Goals. We need to cross silos. So to explain how that operates, Adara, I set it up going 25 years ago, which is pretty amazing, to make our first quarter of a century um, with a very, what I thought was a very simple idea that I would embed into a not-for-profit that I set up to begin a corporate advice business as a business entirely set up for the purpose of making money, charging fees um, for corporate advice, making money to give to the not-for-profit that I set up at the same time so that I could hire brilliant bankers who do their work to a standard of excellence. They would make money and hand it across the hall to the development specialists that are sitting right beside them. So, you know, we are now, 25 years later, after this very winding journey, a mixture of medical anthropologists, neonatal specialists, social workers, educators, and a pretty global organisation, investment bankers, corporate advisors, lawyers, accountants, all very different skills, but one united purpose. We believe profoundly that no matter where you're born, you're entitled to essential service delivery. And that's what Adara is. So if you like, we're a hybrid model. My life and lucky life um, in the business sector through law and banking and all the other things that you mentioned, you know, having the incredible honour of, of uh, leading a publicly traded bank and, and um, chairing a, a stock exchange has allowed me to be able to create a business model that can create funding for this work. So, so on the ground, the result is wonderful. We touch about 200,000 people a year now in, um, who are living in extreme poverty. We run centres of excellence and knowledge share widely. Um, so we're known worldwide as amongst the leaders in care to newborns, at-risk newborns, premies, our tiniest clients, um, low birth weight babies in places without consistent electricity supply. We're neonatal specialists. And we were also amongst the remotest service deliverers in the world. So our remotest school and the education stream is 25 days walk from the nearest road. The teams that run that work and implement that work they stand side by side with the investment bankers, the corporate advisors, people who are making the money, and also amazing donors who stood with me the whole way along. So we are a bit of a weird model, a mix, but 
It's a manifestation of my very deep belief that one really great way to change the world is to step out of our silos, hold hands um, and recognise we're global citizens no matter what our skills are or where we're born. To bring it to life even more, could you tell us about a couple of examples that stand out to you of some of the work that Adara has done? Yes, I'm happy to. You have to stop me talking, Emma, if I I talk too much. One of the amazing things about and incredible lucky things about my life is because I have the eyes to see it from before it began, my heart, it's an incredible thing that your heart can never get too full, right? It's filled with, um, and my life is filled with stories of total heroism so let me give you a a couple that sit with me but there's many that sit with me and when I started Adara I thought you know if it's only one person's life that we save it'll be enough and now of course it's a lot bigger than that I'll give you one example Um, we do a lot of work in Nepal in the remote community development work and the education work if you work remote you end up doing a lot of work in anti-trafficking there's a lot of child trafficking some of it very inadvertent by parents some of it organized crime so we're pretty well known in Nepal for that stream of work child protection and working with kids who've inadvertently being taken into the child trafficking trade and there's a group of 136 kids who we sort of fell across now 15 years ago it's a long crazy story but who became part of our family and who we reconnected with their family of origin and who really uh, we during the the time of conflict or civil war in Nepal who we created residential care and educational support they became a part of our family so one of these kids a little boy I'm going to change his name and call him Dinesh Dinesh was seven when he came to us when he graduated we found his family and um, he became connected to his family and, and back and forward from the very remote region that he came from and when he graduated from school he told us that he wanted to go off to the Emirates to work in a restaurant and we were all a bit terrified about that because there's an awful lot of slavery that happens when Nepali kids go abroad and work like Mm. that but we all held our breath like good second families and um, cheered him on and then followed him nervously anyway cut a long story short a few years later he sent me a message saying audit sister I'm writing to let you know out of 500 applicants I just got a job at one of Australia's most famous restaurants as a sous chef and I'm sorry to tell you that the restaurant is so expensive you won't be able to eat there (laughs) Um, (laughs) and and, um, down he came Dinesh into Australia I said get into my office I need to see you immediately he was at Mr Wong so let me give Mr Wong's a call out worked for us um, as volunteer for this first year at Mr Wong's helping us with our work and I remember having this wonderful moment one day he was running up the stairs to our office to for his volunteer day and I was running down the stairs for some business meeting or board meeting and we kind of passed as we went down the stairs this beautiful man who's built this incredible life and who's succeeding at the highest levels in his career and as we passed you know namaste namaste Dinesh namaste sister Rodin and I had this moment and I thought oh my god it's all worth it Mm. that one boy he's now a man Mm. And so uh, there are hundreds of thousands like that every every year, knowing the faces and the lives of, of, um, of many of them. I can't tell you how much that's enriched my life. Mm. So I could tell you a million stories like that. Um, but, <laughs> I could um, listen to them all day yeah. too. <laughs> but, um, and, and there are many. You know, one child at a time, one life at a time, that's how we change our world. And we were talking before about that intersection of corporate companies and the social side of things. In the corporate sector more broadly, there's probably been this historic view that corporate philanthropy has mainly been a bit of a nice to do, Mm. a bit of a reputation feel good. 
But that view seems to be evolving more now um, to more of that view that there is probably more of a mutual value for big businesses and social enterprises to work more closely together. Is that your observation? Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? You're so right. It's a zeitgeist shift. I remember some of the boards that I was sitting on more than a decade ago when purpose or our role in community was the last thing that would be on the board papers as people were trying to get out of two days of meetings to get to their to get to the airport to hop on planes to go home. It was like, oh yeah, purpose, oh yeah. Um, you know, enrolls the marketing team. Mm. Um, I cannot tell you how different that is now and how wonderful it is to see the depth and seriousness of intent the, the, the whole conversation around multi-stakeholder management, social license to operate, our role in community. And again, if I think about Westpac, how seriously this is taken. And, so, and for, for me, sometimes I have almost flashbacks to how it used to be compared to how it is now. And that has to be a great thing. Doesn't mean there's not a lot more to be done. But um, the understanding, the beauty of the radical transparency of the internet, the understanding, and not only in corporate Australia and New Zealand, but globally, that we now um, must have a social licence to operate, that we must manage our businesses in a way that's good for community, for staff, for environment, for our investors, and of course for our customers, that understanding now has passed into the mainstream. Finally. Mm. Um, So the shift has happened, and that's a very good thing, I think. And so for many social enterprises, funding can be the perennial challenge. You found um, a really interesting model, the way that you fund your business. You said a bit weird, but... uh, Weird and interesting. It's it's really interesting and and it works. But the funding for social enterprises can be that challenge because there are quite a few other wraparound costs over and above the usual expenses of running a business um, because of the nature of the businesses that they run. Do you see the finance sector getting to a place where bespoke financial models to back social enterprises might become more mainstream? I think there's a... Yes, but there's a million different ways to cut the cake, right? And um, I think it's easy to overcomplicate it. I do see, and we are seeing, of course, a huge wave of money going into the social enterprise movement, the green movement. You know, we're seeing a whole rise, a finance system rise wrapped around the ecosystem of ESG and um, lots of unusual structures created to facilitate that. However, I I believe that we don't need to overcomplicate how we do this. Funding businesses that are good for the world or granting to not-for-profits that are changing lives is becoming and will will be the bread bread and butter work for all great businesses, in my view. In terms of um, the role of the financial services sector in that, the way we move capital changes the world. And you see this in the climate debate. You see it in the movement from the asset management community who are choosing who they will and won't invest funds in or loan funds to. We are going to see the same thing cross-sector. And that is really important. But I think that it's really key. I'm going to say this for the third time to bang this nail right on the head that we don't overcomplicate it. You don't need to spend a year creating an incredibly complicated special purpose vehicle and, and unique funding structure to fund a great business when you may actually just need to make them a grant or give them a loan with principal return 
required only or very low interest rates or guarantee a loan that's made to a social enterprise. There are some pretty simple tools of trade we've already got. And I think you see inside Westpac, you see it inside the Westpac Foundation, a lot of thinking about that. So do I think there's going to be new and interesting models? Yes, there's going to be thousands. Hooray. But let's not lose the core of it, which is we need to support great businesses, great not-for-profits, great community groups to do the work to keep our world fairer, greener and more equitable. Mm. Okay, and we did talk about um, that social licence to operate becoming a higher level topic in boardrooms. You've mentioned also climate change in there. So obviously the materiality of climate change for business is demanding more attention. There is a sense, I suppose, that there is action really ramping up at the moment around climate change in an enterprise level and also at the board level. In your observation, how is the conversation evolving around climate change at the board level? Yes, that's really interesting, isn't it? Well, hooray. Um, (laughs) Finally, to some extent, you know, in Australia at least, the climate wars seem to be, as so-called, it seemed to be put to to bed a little. Mm. The conversation is real. Um, It's taken deadly seriously. Um, It's not theoretical. So our customers and our staff are facing the impacts right now of what's going on with climate change. And for anyone listening to this who's been in the you know, northern rivers or been in the floods, I live in the south coast uh, um, from Sydney and, and lived through the fires a couple of years ago. This is real. And so this is a serious business issue that we are focusing on. What's happening to our customers, what's happening to our staff, what's happening to our communities, what's happening to our world. And that is the level that we need to engage, not to my mind, engaging around ideology or, th- or theory. There's a lot of work being done, a lot of great frameworks. I'm very proud that Westpac signed the Net Zero Banking Alliance and it's a, another step in an, a journey of, of huge progress. How real is the conversation? Very real. How important are the issues? Existential. And I think we're only going to see, as the impacts become more and more clear, we're going to see more action. These are business issues, not theoretical, ideological or marketing issues. One third of Pakistan right now is underwater. Mm. May we not forget that as we make decisions, if we're people of privilege, about the direction that, that we lead the companies that we're associated with. And another issue facing that kind of growing urgency as well is around equity and diversity. Yes. Um, Again, at the enterprise level and also around that boardroom table, um, there seems to be uh, a lot of growing demand from investors for change. Do you think this issue is getting the right level of attention across Australia's boardrooms? I think the gender diversity is getting attention. I think an understanding of diversity and inclusion more broadly, um, we have a long way to go. And we cannot take time in the way that it has taken time to get women and those who identify as women into positions of equality. We're a long way away from equality, of course, even though we're an equal number of citizens. In relation to wider issues, you know, people of colour, LGBTI people, you know, non-binary people, people who identify in different ways or have different life experiences, we've got much more to do to look like our customers. And I, I, I don't just mean Westpac, I mean, you know, corporate Australia and New Zealand and the world, quite frankly, you know, the levers of power are not in the hands yet of a representative group of people. I think the conversation is on the table. I, I'm a 
huge believer in in the power of diversity from a business perspective and the data bears that out and again I come back to the data not the ideology I don't want to debate ideology with people I want to talk about the data and the data shows that diverse voices in a boardroom across the full spectrum of inclusion lead to better outcomes you know a better bottom line a better corporate more staff retention better relationship with customers you know all those wonderful things that we all strive for and so on that basis of course we have to continue to push. We do need to understand, though, when we're pushing for change, when you push power, power will push back. So, you know, it's a little bit about, you know, strengthening your back and being ready to perhaps be sitting in a place of discomfort as as change comes. But um, the great thing is I've seen this massive watershed change, change in the last 25 years of my working life we're going to see massive watershed change around these issues in the next decade. And the faces and the experiences um, and the lives of people who are in all sorts of different positions in Australia and New Zealand are going to be very different to the ones we see now. And that will mean we've got a much better, much stronger, much more resilient corporate sector. And it will also mean we have likely a more equitable economy. Okay. So these are pretty big social issues that we've talked about, which are getting a lot of attention in boardrooms. What are the other big issues at the moment? Take your pick. <laughs> There's a lot of big issues out there. Isn't sure. There? So you know, we, you know, from uh, global slowdown, um, economic global slowdown, mm. um, Australia's um, slowdown, inflation, interest rates. You know, the question: What are our customers experiencing right now? Differentiation, competition. Uh, and and um, for, for us at Westpac, obviously, non-bank competition. What does that mean in the financial services sector? What's happening in the digital space? Cyber uh, risks. So right at the moment, we're sitting here talking and Optus is dealing with a horrendous um, cyber event. Um, it really brings it home. And, and, of course, the other things that we must do and do do very seriously is is talk about governance and strategy and do our best to make sure that the organisation is uh, structured and led and unleashed um, in the best possible way. But um, there's no shortage of things to talk about at mm. the moment. And on a, on a global stage, you know, the I was reading the UN is saying that 200 million more people will go into extreme poverty in the next six to 12 months. And it's pretty frightening. And what that's going to mean for our world. And not to bring this point home too loudly but if you think about what COVID taught us or is teaching us it's that we're all connected right and so understanding our businesses our responsibility in the context of not only a very complex time in Australia and and New Zealand um, where we serve customers but globally I think that's plenty to occupy the minds of everybody who's working in in these organizations but obviously particularly the board Mm. and the management teams. It's a big list of issues. It's amazing that there is enough time to be able to deal with them all effectively. Yes, there's never enough time, right? Um, so, but I think that's why I go to simplicity. I, I believe very much that um, the way to deal with complexity is, first of all, to be well across your brief. I've always believed in being deeply and well prepared to understand the situation, but then to find simplicity, that simple solutions can make a huge, huge difference. Um, The other thing I believe is is that if you get too bogged down in the challenges, sometimes it's a little bit hard to lift your head above water and breathe that beautiful fresh air. Um, So keeping your eye on the, the joy and the greatness and the achievement 
and the opportunity, um, as well as understanding the complexity of the environment that we're working in, I think that's a, for me anyway, that's a good strategy and technique to keep sort of finding the, the pathway through. Good technique. And if we could just do a little bit of a reflection over the past year. So you did join, as we said, the Westpac board around about a year ago. That was a pretty challenging time, both for the bank and the world. We were coming through the COVID lockdowns. Um, The bank also had its own unique issues at the time. Can you reflect on the performance of the bank over that 12-month period that you've been on the board? And then also kind of looking forward, where do you see the biggest opportunities? A couple of reflections. I feel very proud to be on the board. And, you know, I've known Westpac, for, as many have for decades, as, you know, the bank of the heart and the bank where staff go out of their way to support customers. And you're right, I joined the board at a time coming out of the all the horror of the Austrac experience um, and all the complexity of COVID. One, one thing that I would reflect in the last year for me that I've seen I just cannot get over the determination of everybody at Westpac to just get up every day and work around the clock to do their best for their customers and their colleagues so that sort of indefatigable spirit in all of that and uh, well that's one of the things that's really struck me boy it's a heavy workload you know fix simplify perform there's a lot in that and the people are determined to get Westpac through that. There's greatness, there's real greatness, and we're starting to, to in, in Westpac, and we're starting to see that. My second reflection is, you know, Peter King would say, we're starting to lift our eyes up. And, and I believe that that's actually right. And how, how exciting, how lucky am I to be here for this phase of the journey? Because I think that it is a new phase and we are going to be talking much more about advocacy and customers and service excellence and expertise and making things easy for people. You know, we're, we're going to be having that conversation and that's kind of exciting, right? In terms of the question about opportunities, when I think about the situation that our customers are in and what may unfold in the next six to 12 months, I believe that the greatest opportunity we currently have is to be the best banking partner that we can be for our customers through what could be quite a lot of turmoil. There's a million opportunities that I could talk to you about that I'm excited about in the green space for instance and with new products etc but actually I think that this organization the thing that we really need to do is really, really stand beside and support our customers through what could be a complex times. Interest rates rise, inflation rises. We need to be the best bank that we can be. And we need to be a great bank. If we do that, I think that we will really have fulfilled the brief. Everything else for me, from there, there's huge upside coming down the track for us. But let's start with being the best bank that we can be for our customers. And finally, Audet, for you personally, what is on the horizon for you? Any more board roles potentially? Or? <laughs> I'm really busy <laughs> and I love my board. I'm not a career non-exec director. That's not my gig. Um, I'm a social entrepreneur and um, my huge focus without my business, Dara Partners, making sure that that continues to grow. And I'm, I plan to take, the, so I have a model um, in the business where I have 15 of Australia's most senior corporate advisors and they work including, you know, the guy who runs Citibank and the guy who runs Goldman's and Baron Joey, people, men and women of Australia of great stature. 
and they work for Adara advising Corporate Australia on major transactions entirely without recompense with my corporate advice team sitting under them. It's a new model. This is a new business that we set up now seven and a half years ago. On that, In that um, domain, I'm focused on taking that model as it's proving itself out in Australia into the world's biggest financial markets. I won't rest until we launch that in Wall Street. Um, in terms of the work, the Adara development work, the NGO work, that work is in scale. And uh, my focus there is supporting the incredible teams that we have, our CEO, our global leadership team, to do deeper, better work and to build centres of excellence and share that share knowledge. In relation to the board roles, there's only one company that I'm currently sitting on the board of. I'm really proud that it's Westpac and don't expect to see me popping up anywhere else. So that gives me a full <laughs> slate, enough. I promise you. <laughs> It does sound like there are busy days ahead. There are. And, and, and you know, days of, of both challenge and opportunity, but the joy and gratitude are the uh, key pieces for me that get me out of bed every day. And um, uh, the work is not going to be done for a long time yet. Well, Odette, I really appreciate you being the first Westpac director Hooray! to be in our Boardwalk <laughs> series. And I really hope you enjoy the rest of today's uh, Social Enterprise World Forum. Thank you very much. Thanks. Delightful to talk to you.